Well, here we are again. I thank you for being here tonight. Uh, one of the hardest things in preparing lessons, I think, and I struggled with it this week, is what to include, what not to include. It's not like there's not enough material out there, but what really fits. And this difficulty was also in choosing a title for this lesson. You know, most pe preachers have a, have a title of their sermon. I had a problem with that. I came up with two titles. The primary title that I started off with is Learning How to Be a Winner. But the other title is Motivating God's People to Live for Jesus. Because if we don't do that, we won't be a winner. You know, there's a, a lot of negativism out in the world today. A lot of bad that, if you don't believe me, just turn on your TV. You know, in the last week or so, there have been two terrorist attacks in England. There's fussing and fighting and arguing among the government, even within the United States, and then they'll argue with governments across the ocean as well. So it's really tough to realize that we can all be winners. Have you ever bought a book and wonder, what's this book about? And a lot of times when you buy a book, especially if it's a paperback book, you can turn to the back page, the outside cover, and kind of read a pure preview of what's going on. And that's the way it is with the Bible. It doesn't have a back cover, but it's got a back book. And that book tells us that if we live and we're motivated to serve God, we're all winners. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, because we like to be winners. When I lived in Minnesota, I did a lot of motivational speaking for various companies, and this is how I started off every one. Because when you get outside the church into the everyday working we world, there's a lot of attitudes that are not good attitudes. But I told them, and I'll ask you to do that, take your hands, rave them in the air like this. What do you feel? Do you feel any of that satiny stuff like they have that line the inside of caskets? No. You do that every morning, and that's going to be a great day if you don't feel that. We have so much to look forward to, so much to enjoy. You know, we wake up of a morning, we put our feet on the ground, we go to a bathroom where there's running water, even hot water. We don't have two rooms and a path like we had until I was about five years old and some of you or your grandparents or parents experienced. We've got it made. You go to work, and there's always people that have neg negative thoughts and negative ideas. You ask them, how are you doing today? Well, I don't know. Pretty good, I guess, because it's being Monday. You know, and I've used this before. What's Monday got to do with it? If you live to be 70 years old, you're going to have 10 years of Mondays. That's a lot of Mondays. 
You know, we all get up of a morning, and if you're like me, maybe don't everybody do this. I go get my newspaper, and the very first page I turn to is the obituary column. I don't know whether that's a good idea or not. But I look through there, and if I don't find my name anywhere in there, I figure it's going to be a great day. The biggest problem we've got all day is figuring out how those people manage to die in alphabetical order. That's how my day starts off every day. Because the day before, I made up my mind, as I did that day, that tomorrow I'm going to have a great day. When you go into a store, somebody says, have a great day. I said, I'll give it my best shot, and if that doesn't work, I'll try it again tomorrow. That's the attitude we have to have because we are the most blessed people of all the earth. Not just because we're Christians, but because we live in the United States of America. We have freedoms that people in other countries don't have, but we take them for granted. We always, as I said, we turn on the TV. There's all kinds of nasty news. We see uh, marches and fights and fusses in the legislature and other countries and everything going on. We wonder why. You know, a story is told about a young preacher who lived in a town, and no matter what happened, I've told this story before, no matter what happened, he always had something good to say about it. One day a tornado came through and wiped out about half the town. Well, they couldn't wait to find that preacher to see what he had to say. They asked him, Preacher, what do you got good to say about this? He thought for a minute, and he says, Well, we can be thankful that every day is not like this. No matter how bad the news is, there's always something good. But you know why we don't see it? Because we don't look for it. You look at the news in the newspaper, TV, radio, wherever you... If there's good news, they don't tell you about that. All they tell you is the bad stuff. And so we've been mentally conditioned by society to look for bad stuff. When I spoke in Minnesota, I told them that as we were speaking to companies and supervisors, I said, let me challenge you to do this. When you look at your employees, you work with your employees, see if you can catch them doing something good. A whole new concept, because we don't think like that. As parents, see if you can catch your children doing something good. And be as quick to praise as we are to criticize. Motivation. What are we motivated by? There are two kinds of primary motivation. Reward and punishment. What motivates me? Well, if I do this, I get the reward. I get the satisfaction of knowing I did a good job. And if I don't, then there's a punishment side. Now, it might not be bad or good. But I'm telling you today that there's another motivation that as Christians we should have, and that is the motivation of love. Jesus Christ on the cross, the Bible says, God so loved the world, God so loved me, he loved you, that he gave his only son. 
I've got one son. I cannot fathom what it would be like for me to sacrifice my son like that. It's just beyond my comprehension. But God was willing to do it because you and I are important to him. We're going to have three points tonight. Every good sermon has three points, whether good points, bad points, or what. First point is we've got to know who we are. You've got to know who you are. Sometimes that's not easy to do. First of all, we know that we're all sinners because Paul said in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's a starting point. We're all even at this point. We're all sinners. But more important than that is something we'll learn. There was a preacher in Alabama years ago. I'm sure he's probably deceased by now because I remember hearing about him when I was in college, a man named C.R. Nichols. And he was a man that was a very proud man, and he walked that way. And he had a guy come up to him one day, and he asked him, Here you are, Mr. Nichols, walking around so proud like you're arrogant. He said, You act like you own the world. He said, I don't, but my father does. The father we have in God owns the world, and we're just in it. We need to be aware of that. We're king's kids, part of a royal family. Do we deserve that? No. Did we earn that? No. We have that because of what Jesus did. And that's the only reason. You know, we have to be careful that we don't get haughty about that attitude. We don't think we're better than everybody else because we're king's kids. There's a story about the lion is walking through the jungle and he's roaring, who's the meanest, toughest animal in the jungle? He asked the rhino, who's the meanest, toughest animal in the jungle? He said, well, you are, Mr. Lion. Went to the tiger. He said, who's the meanest, toughest animal in the jungle? He says, well, you are, Mr. Lion. He went to the elephant. Who's the meanest, toughest animal in the world? Well, the elephant wasn't impressed. He'd have wrapped his trunk, trunk around him, slammed him against a tree a couple of times, let him fall to the ground. The lion looked at him and said, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean you've got to get mad. We're children of God. Paul, in a lot of his writings to the saints at a certain place. Did you ever consider yourself a saint? I don't really consider myself a saint, but Paul says we're all saints, not because of us, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a young man who was caught one time stealing sheep. And so he was banished to another part of the country, and he was branded on his forehead ST for sheep thief. Several years had gone by and he had lived in this other country and changed his life around. Somebody asked another guy one day, said, Well, so and so where he's got that ST on his forehead, what does that stand for? He said, I think that sounds for stands for saint. You know, so we can turn things around. 
what we are, we're barraged every day with all kinds of negative emotions and everything that we deal with. But we're God's people. We see AIDS, crime, threat of nuclear war, terrorism all around me. But Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. That's the attitude we have to have. We've got to learn to fall in love with Jesus because that's how he feels about us. Hebrews 4.13, he talks about our relationship with God and he said, everything is naked and covered before God. What he's saying is, you have never fooled God a single time in your life. He knows it all. He sees it all. We have to be aware of that. I'm worth saving. There's a song. I listen to religious music on the radio all the time. It's all I listen to. I don't listen to the garbage. But this song, the words of it say, When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And if we think about that every single day, that's how, we are, how important we are to God. So we've got to know who we are. The child of a king. You know, we have to be careful, though, that we do not confuse the privileges we have as a child of king with rights. You know, there's all kinds of arguments. You can turn on every, every night on your TV all these political scholars debating, well, is this a privilege or is this a right? You know, they can't make up their mind which is. Somebody say it's a right, some people say it's a privilege, whether they're talking about health care or everything. What happens to us is sometimes we start considering that we should be able to demand these things. It's like the guy who's sitting in his living room looking out his window one day, there's a guy comes walking down the street, and he stops, and he's kind of fiddling around that guy's mailbox. Then he goes on. The guy goes out and looks in his mailbox, and there's a crisp $1,000 bill. He doesn't know what's going on. Next day, about the same time, the same guy comes by, stops at his mailbox. There's a $1,000 bill. He does that for a week. He does that for a month. Then the next day he comes by and he walks right past this guy's mailbox and walks to the neighbor's mailbox. He said, whoa, whoa, wait just a minute. What's he doing putting my money in that guy's mailbox? See, we've changed it then from a privilege to a right. We start demanding. We have to be careful not to do that when it comes to God. Second most important question that we have to answer or have to be aware of, know what you want. Because if you want it bad enough, you've got to be careful because you might get it. This question is more important than the question, what must I do to be saved? Because if it doesn't, if you don't want to be saved, it doesn't matter what you do. What do you want out of life, from God, 
doesn't matter what you want, but you have to be able to identify it. You know, so many of us don't really know what we want. We're what in the business world they call it call a wandering generality instead of a meaningful specific. We well, you ask kids getting ready to go in college, what what are you what are you gonna be you grow up? I don't know. And sometimes we ourselves are not clear on exactly what we want in life, what we try to work for. Because of a negative thinking and this aimless wandering, we get into a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a grave with both ends knocked out. Still a hole in the ground. We've got to get out of that rut and get above that. I've used it before, but I use it again because it's so critical in knowing what we want. And I mentioned Mill Valley, California here last time I spoke, but that, that picture just sticks in my mind. This is a community in the San Francisco suburb area. One of the wealthiest communities in the entire United States. Every home in there is a million dollars or more. You can imagine what the driveways look like with the BMWs, the Mercedes, the RVs. But when you look at the reality of what that community is, it has one of the largest crime rates, one of the highest drug rates, one of the highest divorce rates, and worst of all, the highest rate suicides as I said before these people have everything to live with and nothing to live for we have to not fall into that trap well, we compare ourselves to a lot of things a lot of time but sometimes I think about the person who asked the guy says how's your wife he said compared to what <laughs> you know that's all a relative thing. Compared to what? Reminded, I told Chris last week this little joke after we had, had class on Wednesday night. I said they were these two brothers, Joe and John. And not picking on anybody's name. Those are just easy names. And Joe and John were a couple of meanest scoundrels around. Boy, they were, they were bad news. One day Joe died. And John, his brother, went to the preacher and says, You know, I'll give you $500 to preach my brother Joe's funeral. The only condition is you have to say he was a saint. Preacher kind of thought about it for a minute. Finally, he said, Okay, I can do that. So when the time for the funeral came, the preacher began the service, and he was talking about Joe. And he says, and Joe was a saint compared to his brother John. <laughs> See, there's a way around everything. We have to be genuinely committed to will the way and the word of the Lord. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, 
3 through 6, where he talks about all of his qualification. I was circumcised the eighth day. I did this and I did this. But at the very end of it, he says, but I was wrong because I didn't have Jesus in my life. That's the thing that so many people are missing today. They're trying to make it through the world without Jesus. You know, we take 18 to, let's say, 21-year-old young people today, and we look at them. They're all about the same. Most of them are starting college or college age. They have the intelligence to get into a college. They don't have any money. Mom and Daddy may have some, but they don't have any yet. So they're all about the same. But we project it out 40 years down the road, and there's going to be a vast difference in those young people. What's the difference? The big difference is this. They were able to find what they wanted and get excited about it. Not for 30 minutes, not for 30 days, but for 30 or 40 years. That's the difference. And that's our last point that we want to talk about tonight. We have to learn to get excited about what we want. We have to expect what we want. You know, people used to make fun at me. We go to a big parking lot, and they'd be way out in left field somewhere, and they'd take the first hole. Well, there's probably not any spots, but I don't do that. I drive up to the front, and 90% or more of time, I find an open parking spot. I've got to where I talk to the people. Okay, I'm here now. Y'all can go ahead and leave them. Thanks for saving my parking spot. So many times we get what we expect to find. Raise your expectations a little bit. The important thing is, as we mentioned before, this is what I call a cat-kicking world. What I mean by that is this. This guy, he does something at work he shouldn't do, and his boss calls him into the office, and he rips him up one side and down the other. He comes out of the office, he's upset, and he goes and he rips his secretary because of what happened over here, you know, and he passes it on. <coughs> he gets home at night, and he's still not in a good mood. And if those of you who have cats, you know that cats like to come up and rub right around on your legs. Well, a cat does that to him. He kicks it halfway around the room, and he says, get out of here. You've probably been up to no good, too. But that's what we do sometimes. But what we have to remember is there are people who will kick your cat. But don't let them steal your dreams. You've got to get excited about life and what life has to offer to each one of us. How many of us don't like to win? All of us like to be winners. Well, I'm I'm going to do this, but I'll I'll be happy if we just finish second place. How many people do you hear that? You look at all the Kentucky Derby races, and I can't remember the name of a horse because I'm not a big race fan as far as horses are concerned. You know who the number one horse was? 
but nobody remembers second place because nobody wants to be there. We're winners. We want to finish on top. God says you're a winner. When Paul talks in Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation. That's what makes us winners. Not us. Not anything we do. But because the power of God. That makes us special winners. God's day begins... Or a good day begins with planning. Great days and good days. You ask me, how are you doing? I guarantee you what I'll say. I always say, great. It's great to be alive. It's great to be in this world. When I lived in Tulsa several years ago, I worked with a guy who was one of the elders at the Garnett Road Church of Christ, Ken Baldridge. We went over to his house today, one day for a get-together, and it was about like it was this afternoon right after church. It was a pouring, miserable. We'd done that for about three days. You couldn't hardly walk across the yard without bogging up. And I made a negative comment. He said, well, how are you? I said, well, all right, boy, it's pretty sure it's a sloppy day, isn't it? You know what he said? It is, but I'm glad I'm alive to see it. That's the attitude we have to have. The old saying in businesses is that attitude more than aptitude determines your altitude. How high you fly is determined by what's between your two ears. I'm already planning on having a great day tomorrow. I'm not sure everything I'm going to do, but I know I'm going to have a great day. And we have to make up our mind this is a great day. This is the day the Bible says that the Lord is made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Every day God made. And he wants his people to enjoy it. He doesn't want us to be miserable. Life begins by always having a great day. But we have to do that by living for Jesus. That's the only way to have a great day. Because one day, all those days will be gone. And we talk about the Word of God. The Bible says we're going to stand before Him and the books are going to be open. The Word of God's going to be open and we're going to be judged there. If we don't live by those words, we have to be real careful. There are a lot of people, and I have people in my family who could care less about God or anything to do with God. But I will tell you this, that if you live as though Jesus never died, one day you'll die as though Jesus never lived. That's scary. I don't want to have to deal with that, and I don't think you do either. We're going to sing this song, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. Reminds me of another song I was thinking of on the way over here tonight. It's not in our books, but it's an old song. It says, Heaven will surely be worth it all. I'm sure you've heard that song. Beautiful song. But when we stand to sing this song, if you didn't have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, they'll have that in room uh, 100. 
you can go out, take of that, and then after the song, Lee Beeman will lead us in our closing prayer. Let's stand.